bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Vettling, your Bits and Pretzels podcast host, and I welcome you to the show. This week, I'm talking to Oliver Holle, the co-founder and managing partner at Speed Invest, Austria's leading investment company, which is working with some of the household names in the startup ecosystem, such as Tier, Shutflix, and Planetly. Together with Oliver, we look into the future and how the ongoing corona crisis is shaping the tech ecosystem, as well as what entrepreneurs need to know right now to master the current crisis. As a founder in crisis, you need to be two things. You need to be ignorant. You can't listen to everybody. You can't um, believe all the things people tell you because if you would do that, then you would throw in the towel immediately. Uh, so you have to stick to what you believe in your in the core. Uh, and on the other hand, you have to listen super carefully and differentiate and, and so to say, be, fla be open up your, your inner beliefs about what you think is true and really challenge that for yourself. Oliver Holler, thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. So obviously we are kicking off a new year now and I want to take the opportunity to take a look back and also a look forward and talk with you about what happened over the last couple of months in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and also get some of your thoughts on what might happen in 2021. So from, from your perspective as a VC, Austrian base, obviously uh, with Speed Invest, what were the most important developments on the technology side that, you know, were important for you? What does this mean for this year that we just kicked off? Well, I think life is different. Uh, I think it's really interesting to see how not only the world has changed, but specifically the tech ecosystem has changed. And it has changed for the better, specifically in Europe. At the end of right. the day, what we've seen is tons of uh, acceleration across the board, pretty much. I wouldn't even call out one specific sector, but it has been an acceleration and a and a positive boost for the, let's say, digital innovation ecosystem across the board. And, and frankly speaking, 2021 should be, based on this, uh, really a, an amazing year for, for tech, I hope. <laughs> so, so what were like some of the developments that you saw in 2020? What kind of major trends did you see in the industry? Or were you following specifically as an investor? When the whole thing started in March, uh, we, we, as I think everybody else in the, in the industry, gave out a, a stark warning signal to our portfolio founders. And we have, as you know, you have uh, two, roughly 200 companies across Europe, so a pretty broad spectrum, not just Germany or, or Austria, but really a lot, of, lot in the UK, etc. And the message was clear. Most likely funding will dry up. Most likely people have to really watch out for their for the cash flow planning, et cetera, et cetera. A year later, all these things didn't realize it, it didn't come through, at least for the top top half of the portfolio, let's say top third of the portfolio. What happened in contrast was actually more and more money flowing in. Valuations kept rising, more players emerged, a lot of US players entered the European ecosystem. So instead of this... Um, This dark winter, what we have actually seen was actually an acceleration of, of competition in Europe. And the best teams, the best companies uh, actually 
found it even easier than before to to raise money and at valuations that we haven't seen before in Europe. Why did you think that happened? Well, I, maybe that's a, that's a subjective perspective, but for me, the last two years have been a watershed in Europe. But, but we have seen that you, you can build amazingly big uh, companies. You can see that you can raise enormous amounts of, of money for for your portfolio, and you can actually compete eye-to-eye with your, your U.S. peers. That's a bit different from the sentiment in Europe over the last 10, 15 years, where you always were, the, the base assumption was, you build something amazing, and sooner or later the Americans would buy it. Interesting. I mean, what what you basically say is that when the pandemic hit in March, everybody was expecting a dark time for founders, and I think you know this was specifically true in our ecosystem uh, as well. When we talked to founders, many said, "Well, oh, we have to you know take care of our uh, financials. Uh, we might have to let people go." Um, mm-hmm. And you say that you know these expectations did not happen according to your perspective, right? Well, it happened in the first couple of months, but most of our portfolio companies have caught up. Well, like, 100% to their original growth plans by the end of the year and are now actually coming out stronger. So the pendulum swung in the other direction and uh, and the fundraising did not stop for the good companies. Why do you think that is? Well, you have a, what you see in Europe and, and data is pretty clear on that. You have a lot more dry powder in the ecosystem. A lot more players uh, coming in with uh, with capital Um and um, so the supply of capital has significantly increased over the last two, three years. So when you think about the companies that performed in, in this crisis, in this in this very difficult situation, what kind of companies did benefit, did thrive in this difficult situation? Yes, uh, I think a crisis and of course 2020 was in many ways a crisis. Uh, actually exposes the weaknesses you have as a team or as a founder founding team or or in other way the other way around it, it shows whether you really built something valuable and for me that's to a very large degree driven by culture and i think there's only so much you can actually do in a crisis at the end of the day you either benefit uh, from the things you've done in mm-hmm. the past or you, you have to face the consequences of the things you didn't do in the past. So if you've been able to build a strong culture, a strong cohesiveness, a clear purpose, uh, trust within the team, then uh, switching to remote uh, will not be that difficult. Switching to re- switching to a to much more dislocated um, environment where people are really forced to work alone will not be that difficult. People will know what to do. People will trust you. They don't need this. Uh, they don't need day-to-day guidance. If you haven't done that before, uh, and if you have a culture that is much more driven by fear uh, or by control, uh, then you will face exactly uh, those the consequences that are associated with that. And and that's what I've seen in the. Actually, I've seen it as a founder myself, uh, first and foremost, but I've also seen it this year that the companies where we already had a, a, a good and fussy, warm feeling about them. They were thriving, and the, a lot of them, where we already felt they're a bit fractured, they're there's something not right. Um, they were suffering, but really because of those inner inner issues, I would argue. The companies in Speed Invest portfolio are like some of them that are well known. Um, for example, Billy, Tier, Planetly, uh, Shootflix, um, among other things. Um, 
can you maybe share some best practices and learnings uh, for pandemic times uh, and and the future uh, that you saw in in the companies that could you could be valuable uh, for founders? Sure. If you boil it down to what what are the key success factors, it's it's very often two things. On the one hand, this building this creation of a strong company culture, and that's many of the companies you mentioned have that, and they've had that before, and they they basically doubled down on that. And that simply means spending a lot of time with the founders um, and of the key leaders in the organization um, to, with their teams, uh, and not necessarily only in on, on very specific uh, operational to-do lists, but really understanding how, how people are doing, uh, where they are emotionally, and, and caring about them. And the other aspect is really speed, and specifically speed in, uh, in change. Um, maybe one example, we have a a company called Pesky Fish in the UK. Uh, they have been a, they are basically sourcing fresh fish for restaurants mm -hmm. uh, directly from the uh, from the fishermen on, on the out there in the Atlantic. It's a beautiful model. Fresh same day fish, no no intermediaries. Uh, fishermen get much more money. Uh, customers get fresh fish. So beautiful. Now, of course, with the pandemic, uh, restaurants are closed, so they had no business model. They had zero revenues. And, and these guys pivoted within three weeks uh, to a B2B model, uh, basically catering, uh, sorry, from B2B to B2C. So they switched completely from catering to restaurants to catering directly to end consumers in the UK first. They'll, they'll come to Europe soon. And, and they did this brutally. They did this without looking back. And they did this very, very successfully. And now they're actually one of our top stars in portfolio. And then and, and they're... They will never go back to B2B. And this kind of brutality in being ready to do something completely different is, is extremely important if you have a problem with your business model and they clearly had. Right. Other ones have been brutal in just continuing to execute uh, what they did. I think it's just this, this brutality that you have to really uh, look yourself in the mirror, ask yourself, am I on the right track or not? And if not, then don't look back and change. And that's 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 rare and difficult, of course. When you think about your portfolio and all the different companies uh, in it, uh, you know, you mentioned that you know Speed Invest obviously you know has you know investments in companies in in different countries. When you think about the different ecosystems in the different countries that you have, like you know, a, a certain insight into, how would you compare? you know, how these different ecosystems, maybe in, in, in Germany, in Austria, in, in the UK, uh, and also in the US kind of dealt with the current challenges uh, in, in the founder ecosystem? Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that's uh, that's an interesting question because I personally feel that the, the sentiment has been quite different, so to say, between those um, right. ecosystems. I, I would really... Uh, differentiate more between the hubs um, with a more mature ecosystem with, with, with successful Sears founder coming back with, uh, with venture funds, uh, well-established venture funds that play, so to say, for the for the big game versus ecosystems that are that have less of that. And and the for, uh, the former, I think, have just plucked along pretty much um, and continue to just focus on on on, on those companies that are have a chance to, to grow really big. The second group, the, the fringe markets and Austria would be one of them. <laughs> uh, the sentiment was much more dark or is much more dark in these, in these places because they feel that they are getting left behind. They feel that 
um, so to say, the the local ecosystem is not strong enough to sustain um, their portfolio, their companies through that crisis. So the differences got bigger, which is in a way what happens what happens across the world in, in the last twelve months, right? The, the rich got richer, the uh, the less fortunate had had even more problems. Um, so in, in a way, you're seeing that also in the startup ecosystem, unfortunately. So if you had to sum up the year 2020, what would your conclusion look like? Well, step change for digital and therefore also for everything for our ecosystem to the positive overall, but uh, also introducing a more radical um, you know, bifurcation between the, the, the really good and the rest. And and it's very, very tough uh, if you're, so to say, in the, in the second group. And what are your predictions for 2021? What opportunities do you see uh, for founders um, moving forward uh, into this year? Well, I think it's, it's uh, I really sincerely hope that uh, this, this gap will close again. And I think there is a good chance for that. People will be eager to travel again. People will be eager to go out and meet people face to face again. And that's where serendipity, uh, sorry, where, where this kind of um, lucky coincidences happen, uh, and and people can actually get in front of partners, get in front of uh, investors, and 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 pitch their ideas and actually break that cycle. So I, I really hope and think that uh, the that these two worlds that I described before will 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 kind of merge back again. Also because the there is a commercial need for that. Uh, valuations are creeping up over and over, more and more uh, on the one hand. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, there are many, many examples of, of founders from let's, from the outer edges of Europe that have built amazing companies. So there will be a push to, to find them, and, and that's an opportunity. So I, I'm, I'm quite hopeful there. Overall, uh, I personally don't see uh, any change from, from this dynamic I described before. So what are some areas that you are looking into specifically for this coming year as an investor? Which sector has the most potential uh, to provide the new and next big innovation? Yes, in fintech, for example, we, we see a big shift uh, away from the traditional like B2C value propositions um, that, that have dominated the headlines over the last two, three years, <clears throat> more and more into tech thin, let's call it that way, where we're really... Uh, almost core technology elements are now introduced into the core banking systems, into the inner workings of, of finance uh, to accelerate productivity and efficiencies there. There's probably if you speak to to insiders, that's where people see the biggest value creation in the next couple of years. So so clearly shifting from B2C to enterprise or, or SaaS. Um, in, in marketplaces, a bit similar, you also see on the one hand, you see this this rise of the uh, of alternatives to the Amazons of the world, where you see very, very interesting, very niche, high-quality focused uh, B2C plays emerging that are doing really, really well. On the other hand, you also see uh, tons of new applications of marketplace uh, technologies for the for, for B2B, for the industry. Uh, Shootflix is a great example, or what is Motley or Pescifish in the UK, where we have done investments that are focusing on this new B2C niche plays. So, yeah, and I could go on forever. Hi. 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 
next part of our podcast, which is our beer garden break. Since this is obviously the Bits and Pretzels podcast, we want to bring some Bavarian spirit uh, to this show. Uh, even in the, these pandemic times where we all have to sit at home, we can't have Oktoberfest. We can at least have a virtual uh, beer garden uh, break and enjoy uh, some Bavarian beer taste, uh, at least virtually. But um, first of all, wh what do we drink to? Health, mental health, physical health, health of uh, families and friends. <laughs> and to you for inviting me. Cheers, Oliver Holler. <laughs> Cheers. So, you know, before you became an investor yourself, you started uh, your own company, uh, which had like tough times uh, for several years until it pivoted into mobile data, merged uh, with two other startups and then became Three United, uh, a very profitable company in mobile content and messaging. How did the years before the big su success feel and, and what, you know, learnings did you have as a founder, you know, for other entrepreneurs who might have to deal, you know, with a, with a challenging and demanding time? Uh, right now? Well, I think those years before the success hit uh, were really the most formative years of my life and, and a lot of the things I do as an investor are still driven by that. At the end of the day, I think it, it boils down to two things. As a founder in crisis, you need to be two things. You need to be ignorant. You can't listen to everybody. You can't um, believe all the things people tell you because if you would do that then you would throw in the towel immediately uh, so you have to stick to what you believe in your in the core uh, and on the other hand you have to listen super carefully and differentiate and, and so to say be, be open up your, your inner beliefs about what you think is true and really challenge that for yourself and that is so to say the The ability to dif differentiate between the the cores of, of of your of your company and what it really stands for, and being clear about that, and not moving away from this at all. And on the other hand, challenging everything else and being open to that. Uh, and that's kind of that's what I learned the hard way. I didn't listen good enough um, on product, on customer feedback. I thought I can convince everybody. I was just uh, bullshitting my way through the first couple of years, um, and I paid a price for that. <laughs> really in terms of uh, yeah, uh, having to let people go having to separate from very good friends in the company and so on and so on so that's kind of my learning in a, in a nutshell it's hard to explain it sounds a bit esoteric but I hope I get the point across <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so like during this you know challenging times what made you believe in, in your idea and you know in you know pursuing uh, your startup idea Well, for quite a long time, I didn't believe in my idea anymore. I, be, I, I was very, very uh, unclear what we should do. The one thing I was clear about that I felt I have a very, very strong team and uh, that we will somehow together find a way through. <laughs> and that, uh, that kind of um, situation opened up to all kinds of things. And, and suddenly I was not so much stuck anymore on my specific ideas that obviously didn't really resonate in the market but um, but became much more pragmatic much more forward-looking uh, and then we came up with this merge idea we came up with uh, really reconfiguring our technology to mobile and all the good things happened so i guess that was the situation back then 
How has this perspective, you know, being a founder or, you know, having started a company uh, shaped your perspective uh, as a VC? What did you learn from, from these years and that time that, you know, is helpful uh, for you in your position uh, today? Two things. First, uh, really trying to understand the personality of the founding team, um, because I think that's, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, but But given this experience I described before, that's that's kind of the traits I'm looking for, people that have a strong belief system, but they're also flexible. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is is really how to be as a VC, position ourselves, how, where can we truly add value? It's super difficult, I believe, as a, as a VC to be really helpful. Um, but that is the the core reason why I did speed invest uh, to, to solve that puzzle. What did you learn about adding value as a VC? What's there to, to know for, for investors? Uh, first and foremost, uh, I think investors are way too overconfident about the value they can bring. Uh, it's very few things at the end of the day, I think. Uh, hmm. The first uh, first thing is, is, is signaling, frankly speaking. I mean, why do people want to go to YC or have been in the past? Maybe? Um, because of the, of the significantly increased chances of getting follow-on money. So any, any investor should bring that to the table. But that's, uh, so to say, there, there are diminishing returns to that. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're a good name in seed, like Speedinvest or Point9 or Seedcamp, you bring that to the table. All your startups will be looked at from the big guys. So that's... That's one thing that's fairly easy if you have that. It's important and founders should really get somebody like that in the cap table. But it doesn't go beyond that very much. Strategic advice, I always had the feeling if <laughs> you're not really uh, super close to the business, uh, everybody says the same things. Everybody says the obvious things in board meetings and, and it's very hard to really go beyond that and and i as a founder almost immediately discounted these uh, feedbacks pretty instantly why because i've thought about them 10 times before already or 10 times more than any of any of the people in the in the boardroom right so it's tough And, you know, we have a thing in common. We both uh, spent some time in Silicon Valley and then came back to, to Europe. So, so, so talk about your experience over there and, you know, why you decided to, to, to come back and, you know, what kind of experiences, you know, shaped your time uh, over there uh, on the West Coast. Well, I think on the one hand, you have this... Uh this extreme focus on business and you have this extreme focus on building something big there is no there's nothing else so to say that all this uh, let's say uh, in europe you, you have a lot of good outcomes um, that you you could position yourself uh, also to to, the, to your so to, to, to anybody else in the ecosystem in the us that all, all these things don't matter or the only thing that matters is, is going big so that was the one really eye-opening thing to learn uh, the other one is uh, the other one was that um, we can compete very very nicely as Europeans when we sold our company uh, hmm. we had still our team working out of Austria and and, and, and Germany and frankly speaking uh, our product team our tech team outperformed our US counterparts on every single element of the of the value chain we were faster more interesting uh, the, The products were better. 
uh, more reliable, all these things. So, so, <laughs> so after two years, I was, uh, I was clear, okay, there is a huge opportunity for Europeans to, to actually be, be super strong in this ecosystem and actually win. I think we have a more healthy company cultures. Uh, people underestimate the, the, the problematic setup of many U.S. companies and on the, on the culture level. Um, and the only thing we need mm. is to think a bit bigger and to be more bold and, and to get the funding. So that led me to Speed Invest. Do you, so do you think that this trend accelerated during the pandemic uh, into, you know, in Europe's favor? I think the funding situation has massively improved in Europe. So that's great. That's really important. And I also believe that a lot of people are now thinking much bigger than before, uh, both on the investor side and on the founder side. Right. Uh, so that's also great. Um, I still think we have a long way to go in, in closing the gap on, on this ambition level and on the funding level, but we definitely moved in the right direction. Coming to our toolbox right now, which is the part where our guests share their three personal tools uh, that every founder and entrepreneur, you know, has to know right now. What are your three tools, Oliver Holland? The first tool I would recommend is books, reading non-digital books, doing so in the evening or in the morning, but really reserve your time, some time away from, from, from the computer. I think that's a very, very important tool. Uh, the second tool, go outside. Don't spend all day in the room, especially now during the pandemic. And now more seriously about uh, actual digital tools. Uh, two things I've done in the in the last uh, year. I, I introduced a, a tool called Sansama. It's a very simple um, to-do list that at the end of the day it collects also your, your calendar entries. And the one specific thing I like about it is that it lets you categorize your your meetings and also your to-dos into one simple system so you can actually understand where you spend your time with, which is uh, something I kind of always had an intuition, but I never saw it black, to, black, black and white, and it was actually eye-opening where, where I'm spending my time. Um, so that was helpful. But what we also are doing in SpeechInvest is, is, is a small little add-on. It's free, I think, uh, on Slack. It's called Donut. And it's so basic that it's almost laughable. It basically randomly uh, introduces two people of the organization and, and puts them into a 15-minute chat uh, or Zoom or whatever you use um, to have a non-business-related conversation. That's it. Two people of the organization hmm. randomly selected. Every week you, you get to spend 15 minutes with somebody in the organization that maybe you wouldn't have any reason to talk to. And everybody loves it. Coming to the last part of our podcast, which is our either or game uh, right now. And uh, this is how it works. I give you two words. You have to choose one and explain real quick why you've made that choice. And the first one is bits or pretzels. Pretzels. <laughs> why? Because I... I desperately look uh, look out for analog experiences and I have so much bits in my life. I'm, I'm looking forward to pretzels. <laughs> Conquer or compromise? <clears throat> That would be one where I would say both. Because, I, I, But at the end of the day, conquer. We need more conquerors in, in Europe, in, in, the, in, the, in the ecosystem. We, need, we have enough compromise anyways. <laughs> Lead or follow? Lead. 
<laughs> I think that's uh, yeah. I wouldn't do this if I wouldn't believe in leading, and I wouldn't do this if I wouldn't believe in uh, supporting more leaders uh, to actually be able to fulfill their dreams and then building something amazing. Tradition or transition? Transition, of course, of course. I, I'm really not uh, a big fan of tradition. I think, for example, the tra traditions in venture are really boring and they're really uh, not interesting. And I think uh, breaking up with those and, and introducing a new way to do this and, and to work with founders and all this has been the main driver behind what, what I, I like to do. Risk or safety? Risk. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, I play cards with my daughter now every evening because it's one way to survive the, the lockdown. And I'm always erring on the risk side and typically I lose, um, but I still love it. It's so much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we are all for fun, right? I mean, that's for sure, uh, specifically in this pandemic time. So, so uh, speaking or listening, listening and i have learned the hard way how important listening is i, I tend to speak too much <laughs> spending or saving hmm. spending <laughs> there's a pattern there right <laughs> it's not uh it's kind of it's a bit embarrassing yeah spending because um My my perspective was always um, that we live a very very short life and 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 I want to get the most out of it and uh, I always had this firm belief that there will be uh, everything will turn out good so why not uh, enjoy life more Oliver Holler thank you so much for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today thank you Britt that was a was really fun really interesting questions and uh, thanks so much for having me it's 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 great and congrats to your show it's it's an um, I think you, some people underestimate how important these kind of uh, sessions are and, and, and we need, need more, more of that and more of you. And thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new episode again. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening. See you next week.